Hey Fellowship, we just wanted to take a minute and say thank you for your generosity in giving toward the Renew Youth Conference this last year as a part of the gift. This was the first time that the Renew Youth Conference was hosted here in Japan, and over the course of three days, we got to see many junior high and high school students gather together, worshiping, praying, and interacting and hearing the gospel, some for the first time. And we hope this becomes an event that we do every year and that it continues to grow. This next year, we plan to have two Renew Youth Conferences in different regions of Japan, and we hope that over the years, this continues to equip the next generation to lead the churches in Japan. Thank you so much for your generosity and partnership in helping spread the gospel here in Japan. Man, that's awesome. That's two weeks in a row you guys got to hear from Kyle and Elise McCarthy all the way from Tokyo, Japan. And so uh, that's pretty cool stuff. So if, if you missed that, um, that conference was one of the things the elders decided uh, last year um, to, to send the gift towards. And so if you've already given to the gift this year uh, in years past or you're still considering that, um, that's one of those things that the elders decides at times to, to help benefit. And so thank you for your generosity. Uh, my name is Ryan Burton. I'm a worship leader here at Fellowship Fayetteville. We're excited for this week. I've got one quick announcement really before we, before we start worshiping together. Um, and that is that we have been, as a worship arts team, have been working on a song and a video for you guys. And so um, we, Jimmy Cook and myself wrote an Advent song specifically with Fayette kids in mind. And so if you've got kids, kind of sixth grade under, um, that was kind of our target um, when we were thinking through this song. And our team has gotten together this past week and we recorded with some of those kids singing. And so we're gonna release a, an Advent devotional video um, sometime next week. And so be on the lookout for that. Um, we'll post it all over social media. We'll email it out. And so be on the lookout for that. And the hope is that um, this little 10-minute devotional video will be something that you and your family could do sometime before Christmas morning that you, you get some time together and just watch this video together and sing this song with each other. Well, church, this morning we get to settle in to another theme of Advent. We get to talk about love. And so we've, over the past three weeks, we've, we've seen the different uh, themes. We've, we've talked about hope, peace, joy, and now love. And so church, you know this, but let me remind you that there's no greater example of love that we have and through Christ Jesus, that God sent his son for us to show his love for us. And so we're gonna learn about that. We're gonna reflect on that this morning. And our prayer is that that love, as you see it, hopefully in a deeper way this morning, encourages your soul to respond in worship. And so we're gonna start out. We've got the choir joining us this morning, and so I'm super excited. We're gonna sing songs. We're gonna sing songs of praise, of joy, and of worship. So let's stand together and let's sing this morning. It ran some count 
this song out, Christ is. Christ is my firm foundation. He's the rock on which I stand. Everything around me is shaking. Oh, I'm
guys can be seated as this morning we light the candle of love. Good morning. My name is Joe Ross, and this is my wife, Catherine. And today we'll light the fourth Advent candle, which symbolizes love. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to, the, to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and she gave him the name Jesus. We light this candle because like God's people centuries ago, we know that God has come in Christ and that Christ will come again. We rejoice in God's work in history and in the future. And together we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come on, candle. Thank you, Joe and Catherine. I don't know. Maybe there's something symbolic about the love candle being the one that's hard to keep lit. I don't know. Appreciate y'all. For those of you who don't know Joe and Catherine Ross, they have the highest title, the, the most important role you can have at Fellowship, at least in my opinion, community group leader. And so thank you for how you love and lead your community group, Joe and Catherine. In addition, Joe is one of our elders. He serves on our elder board. And so Joe, thank you for your service to our church and your leadership on that elder board. Uh, we all appreciate it. Speaking of our elder board, tomorrow is the deadline for elder nominations. So if you're part of our church family, I hope you've been praying with us about who the Lord would have on that elder board. And if the Lord's put it on your heart to nominate somebody, you need to do that before tomorrow. You can hit that QR code, you can go to the web. You can also grab a packet at the information booth if you wanna participate in that, but that's all gotta be wrapped up by tomorrow. Well, y'all, Christmas is here, and it is gonna sneak up on us this year because it's on a Sunday, and it's gonna get here quickly. You know what they say, six shopping days left until Christmas, but for y'all, it's really five because you don't wanna shop on Christmas Eve because you wanna be here with us, and so on Christmas Eve, we'll have services at 2, 3, 30, and 5. It's a family service. We'll all be in here together. This is a great opportunity to invite your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends. If you have family coming in from out of town, we'd love for them to join you on Christmas Eve here at Fellowship Fayetteville. 
And I would ask you, if you consider yourself kind of part of our church family, if you worship here regularly, maybe think about joining us at two or five. That 3.30 is usually really full, and we'd love to make some room for our guests and those in our community who choose to join us. So maybe think about coming at two or five. Then on Sunday, Christmas Day, we'll have services at our regular times, 9 and 10.30. They'll be a little shorter. Um, We'll all be in here again together. It'll be a family service, different service than on Christmas Eve. And so if you want to, you can do what my family's gonna do and join us twice. But we'd love to see you back here on Christmas morning as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. Well, my name's Michael. I serve on the community team here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And this week, of course, we're continuing our Advent series. We've spent the last three Sundays and then four, including today, as we've lit the candles of hope, peace, last week, joy, and this week, love. And as I was thinking about the Advent series and thinking about the Christmas story, I just started to reflect on all the characters that we think of in the Christmas story, the characters that kind of make up this nativity story. Historical figures, yes, but they're, they're characters in our nativity set. We've got Mary, the virgin, the mother. We've got the angelic hosts who bring the message of the newborn king. We've got the shepherds in the fields keeping watch by night. We've got the, the wise men who come bringing gifts to honor the new king. But there's a figure that we tend to forget, a figure that kind of recedes into the background, a figure that if we lost him or broke him in our nativity set, we wouldn't really miss him that much. I'm talking about Joseph. One writer said that when he was a kid, he was in a nativity play, and he was a cow. And he said, but I still had more lines than the kid who played Joseph. <laughs> Joseph just sort of disappears, doesn't he? Did you... Notice that he's missing from this picture. Let's drop him in there. There's Joseph. Looks a little more complete. So what I thought we'd do this morning is just spend a little bit of time thinking about this Advent theme of love and how it's reflected in this simple carpenter from Nazareth, the earthly father of our Lord Jesus, the forgotten man, Joseph. So turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1. You heard Joe and Catherine as they shared the passage with us. We're gonna begin in verse 18. I wanna encourage you to have it open in front of you. If you've got a paper Bible, maybe make some notes as we go this morning. You heard the account in Matthew 1 as Joe and Catherine read it for us. Matthew, in characteristic style, he presents the facts of Jesus' birth pretty bluntly, pretty upfront. He begins with, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So Mary is betrothed to Joseph. I don't know about you, I don't use the word betrothed very often. The translation that Catherine read said pledged to be married. Maybe your translation says engaged But that doesn't really capture the idea because in our culture, you can break an engagement. Oh, it's painful. Nobody wants to, but you can. And if you break an engagement in our culture, the courts don't get involved. It's not a legal transaction, not so much in first century Israel. For them, what we would call an engagement or a betrothal, it was legally binding The couple was referred to as husband and wife during this betrothal period. 
And even though they didn't have marital relations until after the wedding ceremony, they were considered as if they were married legally. And it could only be broken by a divorce. So here's Joseph, legally pledged to be married to Mary. And now she's found to be with child. Now we all know that this child is from the Holy Spirit. But that's not gonna be the first assumption of the people of Nazareth or of her fiance, or as they called him, husband, Joseph. I mean, let's imagine if this happened today. Let's imagine that we went over to our FSM service, our our student ministry service, and we brought a girl in here, and she stood on this platform, and she was obviously expecting a child. And she said, I'm so glad I've remained pure in my walk with the Lord. The Lord's doing something really special in me. What would we think? We would think she's either crazy or a liar. Well, here's the thing. People in the first century also knew how children were conceived. And I don't think they would have been any quicker than we would be to believe a story like the one Mary was telling. And so Matthew tells us that Joseph was a just man. I think this means that he knew that going ahead with a marriage to someone who had obviously, or so he thought, been unfaithful to him wouldn't be the right thing before the Lord for him or for her. But at the same time, he doesn't want to hold Mary up to public ridicule or worse. And so he decides, I'm just going to quietly get the divorce papers drawn up. I'm going to tell her parents the marriage is off. Hopefully she can move back in with them. And that'll be the end of this. But you know, this had to be eating him up. It had to be. He had to just be constantly thinking, how could sweet, innocent Mary betray me like this? How could she lie to me and everyone else? I picture him just laying awake at night, tossing and turning, turning this over in his head. How could this have gone so wrong? And I don't know exactly how what's in the next few verses played out, but I think it could have gone something like this.
have seen that clip before. It's from a 2006 movie called The Nativity Story. And I actually recommend it. My family watches it every year. It's part of our Christmas tradition. We use this ancient form of technology called a DVD player. But it's available on streaming services now, especially if you have like elementary age kids, I recommend. It's a great way to just focus your family on why, why we're celebrating at Christmas. So here's Joseph. He's gotten a visit from an angelic messenger in a dream. Let's look at the contents of the message. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from, his sins, from their sins. So imagine Joseph wrestling with this, fitfully trying to sleep, weighed down by what he thinks is Mary's betrayal, and this angel appears to him in a dream and calls him by name, Joseph. It's personal message. But then the angel says something a little bit unexpected. Joseph, son of David. Now, this is really important in this passage because it links this part of Matthew 1 to the first part of Matthew 1. So if you've got your paper Bible open in front of you or if you're using a digital device, scroll up, look at the first 17 verses of Matthew 1. What you're gonna find there is everyone's favorite genre of biblical literature, a genealogy. Who doesn't love reading a long list of hard-to-pronounce names? But we always say this, and it's true. It's really important. It's important not just to Matthew and not just to first century Jews. It's important to us because the whole New Testament starts with these words. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Here's why this is such a big deal. Matthew is saying, here's the lineage of Jesus, the Messiah. Remember, Christ is a Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah that means anointed one. Matthew says this long-awaited Messiah, long-promised and anticipated for centuries, the man who will come and deliver God's people, is in fact Jesus of Nazareth. Matthew says, and I'm gonna demonstrate that he has the correct ancestry, that he's the son of David and the son of Abraham. David, the father of the royal line in Israel. Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. Let's just take a moment and remember why this matters so much. God told Abraham 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus. It's in Genesis 12. In fact, jot that down in the margin. If you're like me and you like to write in your Bible, next to Matthew 1, write Genesis 12, 1 through 3. God tells Abraham, I'm gonna give you land, I'm gonna give you offspring and I'm going to bless you. In fact, he says, through you, through your family, Abraham, I'm gonna bless the whole world. Okay, then we fast forward a thousand years. A lot happens in that thousand years. Take Panorama of the Bible. Garland will tell you every single thing that happened during that thousand years. A thousand years after Abraham, so now it's a thousand years before Jesus, comes King David. Here's another one for you to jot down in the margin, 2 Samuel 7, 8 through 16. We call that the Davidic 
covenant or the Davidic promise. God promises David in that passage, your descendant will always sit on the throne of Israel. And so now Matthew comes along in Matthew 1. And he says, remember the two big promises of the Old Testament, the promise to Abraham, the promise to David. Matthew says, well, check this out. And then he lists 42 names, 42 generations from Abraham down to David, down to verse 16, Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ, the Messiah. Notice he doesn't say Joseph, the father of Jesus, does he? Because Jesus didn't have an earthly father. And so Joseph was, in effect, the adoptive father of Jesus. He wasn't the biological father of this child, but he was still legally his dad. Just as my daughter Lucy is not my biological daughter, but she is 100% my daughter, legally and otherwise. She has all the same rights and privileges by law that my biological children have. And this legal fatherhood, it's really important because think about how a royal line works. Queen Elizabeth died a few weeks ago. Her son Charles immediately became king. Why? Because he was her son. He was in a long line, a royal lineage. The British throne, get this, goes back 37 generations. They can trace the royal line back 1,200 years. And so just anybody can't pop up and say, I'll sit on the throne of England. No, you have to be in the legal line. And so it is with God's Messiah King, God's anointed one. And Jesus, despite not having a biological or earthly father, is legally in line for the throne because Joseph traces his lineage back to David. What Matthew's demonstrating here is that Jesus was legally the son of Joseph and thus the son of David, an heir to his throne. But that's not all of the angel's message, is it? He also tells Joseph to go ahead and take Mary as his wife because the child she's carrying is from the Holy Spirit. In other words, he tells Joseph there's no human father involved. The same Holy Spirit who was active in the creation of the world. Remember Genesis 1-2? The Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. That same Holy Spirit is now at work in creating a child in Mary's womb. And so God, through this angelic messenger, is calling Joseph, in effect, to adopt this child and raise him in his home. And so Jesus, by virtue of his earthly father, his adoptive father, is in line for the throne of David. But because his heavenly father is God himself, he's the son of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so in this short passage, we see the work of the Trinity on display. God the Father sends the Holy Spirit to conceive in Mary the human body that will be added to the deity of the Son of God. And this angelic messenger tells Joseph, the adoptive father, why God is doing all this. He says, you shall call his name Jesus, 
for he will save his people from their sins. That name Jesus, it wasn't given to him by Joseph or by Mary. It was given to him by God himself. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua. We get the name Joshua from it as well, and it means Yahweh saves. Yahweh, the creator God, the covenant-keeping God of Israel, saves his people. Now, usually the word that's translated saves is related to saves them from danger or from disease or even from death. But here he says, Yahweh saves his people from their sins. And sin's really our most basic problem, isn't it? I had a friend years ago who would say, you know, we'd all do a lot better if we'd just quit sinning. (laughs) A lot of truth in that. But it's deeper than that. It's our most basic problem because it's what separates us from God. God is perfectly holy. We're all stained with sin, therefore we can't be in his presence. None of us could ever get to God. And so he came to us. Look at the next verse. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin so conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here's another note for your margin. Isaiah 7, 14. The virgin will have a son, and he will be Emmanuel. And then Matthew, our human writer, he tips his hand here, doesn't he? Because he tells us what Emmanuel means. God with us. It's like Matthew saying, don't miss this. Don't miss that his name means God with us. And I want us to step back for just a second and look at how brilliantly Matthew has constructed this. He's opened with this genealogy. He's made his case that Joseph, as the legal father of Jesus, puts him in line for David's throne. But then he lets us in on this angelic message that lets us know the child, Jesus, has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. He's the Son of God. He's coming to save his people from their sins, and he will be Emmanuel with us. And so in this really short passage about Joseph's dream, we get two huge theological truths. Jesus is fully human, able to be our representative. And Jesus is fully God able to pay the penalty for our sins. Because Jesus is fully human, he can be our substitute. He can be our representative. He can stand in our place. And because he's fully God, he can pay our penalty. Only God himself could endure and pay the penalty for the sins of every person who ever lived. Settle everyone's sin debt once and for all. And so what commentators call Jesus' dual paternity, a heavenly father that makes him the son of God, an earthly father that makes him the king, that was necessary for Jesus to be the one, son of God, son of man, the anointed one who could be both our sacrifice and our king. And the weight of truth in this short passage is incredible because this is what we're really celebrating at Christmas. This is the story of the incarnation, God taking on flesh and being born as a baby. It's of monumental significance. 
And yet look where it's playing out. In a backwoods province, in a corner of Rome no one cared about, in a town that no one even could find on a map. It's playing out in a marriage that's almost over before it even gets started. And so when you wonder, does my life matter? Does my obedience matter? When you ask yourself, is God really writing my story into his story? Think about Joseph. Look how important his obedience is. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. When Joseph woke up, he did exactly what the angel had instructed him. He took Mary as his wife, but he didn't know her, not in a marital sense, until after the baby was born. And they named him Jesus, just as the angel had separately told both of them to do. So I've talked about a lot of theology this morning, but I don't want us to miss the central theme of this story and of this Sunday, which is love. The center of gravity of this whole thing is love. Look how Joseph loved. He loved God by obeying him unquestioningly and immediately. Jesus later on would say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. By his immediate, immediate obedience, Joseph showed his love for God. And look how he loved Mary. Even when he thought she would, had been unfaithful, he wasn't gonna hold her up to public ridicule. He loved her. And then after he knew the truth, he loved her by taking her as his wife. Well, he knew what that would mean. He knew there'd always be whispers. He knew that for the rest of his life, people would make unfair assumptions, not just about her, but about him. And he put that all aside, and he loved her. And look how he loved Jesus. This infant born into a really hard situation. We all know the story. A young couple traveling, having to sleep with animals because there's no place for them. I mean, this couple, Joseph and Mary, they had to think this baby is being born at the worst possible time. And yet, I can tell you, from personal experience, when Joseph looked into the face of a child, that while not biologically his, the Lord had always meant for him, he loved that baby as much as any birth parent ever loved a child. That's the beautiful thing about adoption. It always comes out of brokenness. God always takes these broken pieces and makes something beautiful. And it's made possible, not because there's a loving parent, although that is powerful and beautiful. It's made possible because of God's love. See, the real heart of this story is the love of God because God loved us by sending his son so that by his sacrifice, we can be adopted into his family. When God sent his son, Jesus, he demonstrated his love for us once and for all. We never have to worry or wonder again if God loves us. John wrote in his letter, 1 John, in chapter four, verse nine, this is how God showed his love for us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And he did that so that we could become his children in that same letter. In chapter three, John says, 
See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And then he adds, and that is what we are. We saw Paul in our study of Ephesians in chapter one say that those of us who are followers of Jesus were predestined for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. So I want you to think about this for just a second. Joseph adopted a child that wasn't biologically his so that God the Father in turn could adopt you and me. God the Father, in effect, gave up his son for adoption so that he could adopt us. That's the Father's love that we see in this passage. Joseph's love for his adopted son, which clears the way for all of us to be loved as adopted children by our heavenly Father. And that is what we celebrate at Christmas. That's why this morning we have the manger in the shadow of the cross. Because it was by going from that manger to that cross that God made flesh, God with us, could redeem all of us and allow us to become children of God. See, when Jesus came and was born in that manger, he came on a mission to seek and save that which was lost, his children. It's only by going to the cross that Jesus could be our perfect sacrifice, our substitute, fully God, fully man. And so this morning, we're gonna remember that sacrifice through the act of communion. And so as our ushers prepare the elements and bring them down front to prepare to distribute them, I wanna say to those of you who are our guests, maybe you wouldn't say you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe you came this morning with a friend or, or maybe it's the time of year you wanted to come to church and see what was going on. We're so glad you're here. But if you wouldn't say you're a follower of Jesus, as these elements come by, you can just pass it on down the row. They won't mean anything for you anyway. But if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, if you would say, Jesus is my savior and my king, I wanna invite you to join us as we celebrate communion. And so as the elements come by, you take the one cup. Remember, your wafer is in the bottom. There's just a single cup. That's everything you need. I want you to hold on to that. And I want you to remember. I want you to remember that his birth brought us God with us. Don't just remember his birth. Remember his death because his death paid for our sins. And then remember his resurrection that when he conquered the grave, he secured eternal life for all of us. And as you hold those elements, I also want you to remember he's gonna return and reign and rule on the earth. And so every time we take communion, we look forward to that, his second coming, his next Advent. So hold on to those elements, and in just a moment, after we've had some more time of worship, we'll all take communion together. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of your son, fully God, fully man. I pray that as we observe communion, we'll do so in a way that's pleasing to you, and you'll be glorified, Lord, because you're worth it.
Like bombs bursting in the dead of night, Christ came to us. He came for us. He came like us, just like us, wrapped in the very dust that he himself had made. The fullness of God concealed within the frame of an innocent babe, with the splendor of a thousand suns bringing the darkness to its knees in trembling submission. He is God with us. The full weight of heaven putting its feet on the earth, consummating the hope of generations in the moment of his birth. He is the fullness of deity, the embodiment of eminence, the personification of promise, the culmination of covenant, the answer to every question that's ever been raised throughout history about who God is. And with his every movement, he has shown us who God is. God is holy. Holy, holy, absolutely and definitively other than, transcending every benchmark and reference point known to man. Holy, dwelling in a high and holy place and yet sweeping down low into the depths of depravity to show that he is God, but he is for us. Holy with eyes too pure to look upon evil and an arm too strong to be matched with an equal, blameless in every possible way and yet choosing in his compassion to absorb every ounce of the blame. God is love, drawing near and pressing into the sorrow of the sufferer, the agony of the afflicted, the plight of the impoverished and the shame of the sinner, love demonstrating itself not only with words but with a cross not with empty sentiment but with evidence blood-bought body-breaking grief-bearing hell-shaking evidence love relentless in the chase and patient in its pursuit love before the foundation of the earth determining to set itself on you god is humble emptying himself by taking on a servant's form and being born in the likeness of men, despising his riches by laying down his life, forsaking his throne to make the wrong things right. And though he was rich, he chose to be poor so that by his poverty, you could have abundantly more. God is mercy, rich in mercy ready to receive all who would come to him by faith in their time of need, pardoning sin and never coming to an end and following the faithful until our days are finished. Mercy bleeding out and pleading in intercession, pardoning transgression as far as the East is from the West. God is just whipping through temples and rebuking the pious, storing up almighty fury to pour out on all those who refuse to reckon with his righteousness, just drinking the cup of his father's wrath, consuming it in full on your behalf. God is mighty and the strength of his arm is too great to be measured. The kind of power that can walk on water and cleanse the leper and open the eyes of the blind and open the ears of the deaf and cause storms to seize and cause stubborn and hardened hearts to believe mighty rising from the tomb just as he promised in triumph and victory god is with us god is among us god is alive and well within us he is the illuminating light coursing through our veins and radiating out of us light 
not meant to be snuffed out by our complacency, but spread like wildfire, not buried beneath frivolous affairs and trivial pursuits, or overshadowed by lofty arguments that overshadow our view of the truth. You were made for mission, ransomed for a reason, rescued for the purpose of telling your story of redemption to every living, breathing soul who will listen. That is the point of Christmas. So let us shout it from the mountains, over the hills, through the valleys, and everywhere that Jesus Christ has come. And we are the living embodiment of his kingdom. So right in the middle of the season when hearts are heavy and questions are raised, let us get up, go out, and proclaim unashamed that God his body his tangible physical body the body that the Holy Spirit added to the deity of Jesus in Mary's womb the body that was laid in the manger the body that he would live in as he lived the perfect life none of us could live and then the body that would go to the cross and be given up for us Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Likewise with the cup, the apostle Paul said, as long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember his death 
until he comes. We're anticipating his second coming as we remember his blood poured out for the forgiveness of many. Do this in remembrance of him. Fellowship, our prayer for you is that this week leading into Christmas, hope, joy, peace, love will characterize your home, will flow out of you to those in your world.